0: Let's stand for the reading of the scripture. A scripture this morning will be taken from Luke 17, verses 11 to 19. I'll be reading out of the NIV Bible. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is God's word. Please be seated.
1: Funny thing happened to me on the way to developing this sermon. It has revolutionized my view of thanksgiving. I didn't originally pick this passage. Uh, Brandon picked it for me. Now, I knew <laughs> I could change it if, uh, if I just asked. But I thought, I've never preached this passage before. I've really never gone into it in depth. So let me take a look at it, and hopefully God gives me something to preach. Unfortunately, he didn't, so we will <laughs> <that. clears throat> No, unfortunately, I saw things I had never seen before about Thanksgiving. And I think there's something in this passage for everyone. For those who are spiritually alive and really value Thanksgiving, I hope that you'll see that Thanksgiving is even greater than you have thought it to be. For those who are confused about thanksgiving and really the object of our thanksgiving and the focus of our thanksgiving, you get clarity. And for you who maybe don't want to, you don't feel like giving thanks, you've been battered by life recently, there doesn't seem to be anything to be thankful for. You're going to be shown The greatest, greatest gift to be thankful for. Our Father, we've heard many sermons on Thanksgiving. And they've inspired us and lifted us. And we've left determined to make Thanksgiving more central in our lives. But it seems a week or two later, we can barely remember the message. I pray that today your spirit would move in such a way that you would penetrate each of our lives right where we are in such a way that we will be transformed by the words that are before us. That your spirit would take this word as a very sword to cut into our lives. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. I really want to do three things as we look at this passage. We unfold it today. One is to look at the centrality of thanksgiving. The second is to look at the object of our thanks. And to thirdly, zero in on the focus of our thanksgiving that gives us a perspective to look and see all of life. So first, the centrality of Thanksgiving. I think simply reading this story, we should be convinced that Thanksgiving is important. We see a story of 10 lepers Cast off. They stand at a distance because they are not accepted to society. They are not accepted by God. They are unclean. Though they realize Jesus can heal them, they dare not approach him, for they know they are unclean. Jesus tells them when they call out on Jesus for mercy upon them that they might receive a healing. They call out, have mercy on us. And Jesus simply says, go to the priest. Now, the only reason a leper would go to the priest because he's unclean, he can't go to the priest. The only way he could go is if he was clean. And so they started off for the priest, which showed they believed that Jesus could heal them. And on the way, all 10 were healed. One of them, is so captured by that healing that he turns around and goes back after Jesus. The other nine apparently go their own way. And so we get the message of, should we be like the nine who don't give thanks or we should be like that one who returns and gives thanks. And Jesus drives it home all the more when he says, "Uh, were there not ten lepers who were healed? where, Where are the other nine? There's only one who's come and that's He's not even the Jew among them. He's he's the Samaritan. He's the foreigner. And as we read this, the obvious message is, are we thankful people? It's it's important to be thankful. If somebody, especially Jesus has done something for you, thank him. But this passage is saying even more, and we find it in Jesus' response. In verse 17, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, these are the words that are key in understanding how important Thanksgiving is. Your faith has made you well. We've seen this repeated many times in scripture, but here it takes on a new meaning. Because he's not talking about the faith of the leper when he believed he'd be healed if he went to the priest. He's not talking about the healing from leprosy. You see, all ten of them had the faith to, and hope anyway, that if I obeyed Jesus and went to the priest, I'd be healed. All ten of them were healed from leprosy. They were made well. But Jesus says these words to only one of them. And so this shows us that Jesus isn't saying, your faith of obedience has healed you of leprosy. He's saying something more. He's added a complete other dimension. And literally, he says, your faith has saved you. Your faith is making you whole, not just the physical outside. All ten had that. But there is a dynamic that is working in you that saves you eternally. There is a dynamic working in you that will make you whole on the inside. So what is that faith? It wasn't the faith of obeying Jesus to go see the priests. It was the faith that affirmed that Jesus was the one who saves. That faith was expressed in thanksgiving. Or to put it another way, it is our thanksgiving that shows we have really trusted Jesus Christ. For anyone who has fully understood his or her plight, his or her sinfulness before God, when we really understand how destitute we are before God. And then we hear about a Savior who took our sins upon himself. If we're not responding with gratitude, we haven't gotten the message. So this faith saves him, first of all, in that It is the affirmation of a true faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. If you're saved, you can't help thank Jesus. But secondly, it saves in the manner of making him whole. It saves him because he is is brought into the Christian life as it should be lived. So let me unpack that for you. See, there's two pictures of religious life in this passage. There's the nine and the one. Now, what do the nine do? The nine want a healing. Jesus says, go, go, go to the priest. And they immediately obey Jesus, head to the priest, and they're healed. And then they disappear from the scene. You see, that's one way that people live the religious life. We call out for God, we want God, and we obey God in order to get things from him. In this case, they obeyed God for one reason. They wanted a healing, and that was the end of it. And so many of us live out the religious life that way. We seek God out because of what he's going to give us and when we get it, we seek him out so we can get more. We are caught up in the gift that God gives us. But this leper, this Samaritan leper, was completely different. Yes, he, he wanted healing. He obeyed Jesus. But when he received the gift of Jesus Christ, his heart was captured By Jesus Christ. And that grace of Jesus Christ, that mercy of Christ so penetrated, so transformed him, he couldn't do anything but rush back to Jesus Christ, glorifying God with the loudest possible voice, fall at the feet of Jesus and thank Jesus. And what we see is that falling at Jesus' feet is... First of all, an acknowledgment of who Jesus is. But it's also a display of submission to Jesus Christ. You see, that's the picture of the Christian life. We obey not to get from God. We obey, follow, because we love him so much, because we have been captured by the grace of God. It is not about uh, the gifts that God gives us. We fall in love with the gift giver. When I first met my wife, uh, we weren't dating. I was single. (laughs) And uh, so the singles of the church, there was just a handful of us, I took us up to, uh, to Gloucester for a little trip. And on that trip, my wife went into a store and she bought these little... Cards, you know, you write out messages in the cards and things. And and that really spoke to me, not because of the gift. In fact, how many of you received cards from me? You know, I'm probably, you know, it wasn't the gift that so much captured me. But that gift spoke to me of something about the gift giver. That gift giver was that, that woman who was thoughtful and caring and sensitive and giving. And I fell in love with her. And I married her. See, that's the Christian life when we really get captured by who God is. Because we understand the beauty and wonder of what he's done for us. You see, what happened in this man's life that didn't happen in the life of the other nine, nine? What the verse says is, he saw he was healed. Now, you read that and you go, well, didn't ten people see they were healed? Well, there's a way of seeing without seeing. And then there's a way of really seeing. And I believe all nine of them saw they were healed, but they didn't really stop and think about it, ponder it, Let it sink into them all that that healing meant and what it said about the one who healed them. Only one did that, and that was life transforming. He throws himself at Jesus' feet. His life belongs to Jesus. That's the Christian life. There's another way that thankfulness saves us. It saves us because it cries out that we find our full and complete satisfaction in God, in God alone. See, uh, John Piper said it this way You glorify that which most satisfies you. You glorify by your life what satisfies you the most. And so nine lepers, what are they glorifying? They're glorifying their healing. That now they belong to regular society again. But the one leper who returns, he is glorifying God because he finds not his satisfaction in the healing, but in the person who brings that healing. In many ways, the first sin that has infected all of society, all of culture, all of history, is the failure to give thanks. Let me unpack that for us. Okay. We have a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And from eternity past, they had a love relationship where they held up each other, considered each other as valuable. They lived for each other. And they found complete fulfillment and satisfaction simply within their relationship with each other. And so when God creates humanity, he, create, he, he so fully enjoys this experience that he wants to expand the circle from the Trinity to humanity. And so he creates us to do what? To experience what he's experiencing in the Trinity. To experience the vastness of what? God's love. To feel treasured by God. See, God created us in a way that we would find our ultimate and complete fulfillment and satisfaction in him. And so when he creates Adam and Eve, he places them where? He places them in a paradise. They have everything they need for life, fullness, and satisfaction. God's provided it all. And they're to live in that and enjoy it. But what happens? The serpent comes along and he points to one tree that God's kept from them. And in his first question, he begins to plant the seed of questioning God's goodness. He begins to work into their lives for them to begin to think God does not fully satisfy. Because he says, Is God giving you everything? Is he letting you eat from every tree? Or is there something God is withholding from you? Is there something else you need that will fulfill you, but God is keeping you from it? And her response was, God's not letting us have that tree And the serpent was quick to say, you know why? Because that's the tree that really fulfills. You need to go outside God. You need to go outside the commands of God. You need to go outside the ways of God to find fulfillment. But consider this scenario if this happened. The serpent says, has God let you eat of every tree? And Eve says, God has given us everything we need. He loves us. He treasures us. We, if there's anything I need, love, significance, identity, security, God's providing it for me. Now, He's kept one tree from me, which means because I know God is good, He has a good reason for keeping that tree from me. I thank God for His goodness and all He has provided. Now, would that have changed history? So, In many ways, the failure to be thankful means we have not truly understood the goodness of God. And that will begin the slippery slope into turning ourselves away from God into a path of rebellion against him. Thanksgiving is central to spiritual life. So, if it's so central, we need to be very careful as to whom we give thanks. And that's the second point I want to talk about, is what is the object of our thanks? And, of course, it should be the source of the one who has given us these gifts. Now, as we sit in church, it's obvious we'll probably say, well, that's God. As we go to school, it's not so obvious. I remember reading my my son's weekly readers in first grade, second grade, and third grade around Thanksgiving time. And in first grade, the message was, we are to be thankful. Pretty generic. It's right, but kind of generic. Thankful to whom? The next year, the message was, The pilgrims thank the Native Americans. I I didn't know that was what they were doing. Then the third year, it became the Native Americans thank the earth. And I said, you know, I think it's important that when we celebrate Thanksgiving, we realize the object It needs to really be crystallized in our minds. It isn't about just giving thanks. It's about giving thanks to the right person. And in this passage, we see this leper returns. And he's doing what? He's glorifying God. He is praising God in the loudest voice. He falls at Jesus' feet. And he gives thanks Jesus, the object of this thanksgiving is God in the person of Jesus Christ. It's important that we get this because, again, we live in a culture that is much more accepting of us saying we believe in God. But when we name the name of Jesus Christ, something often overcomes people. And they begin to react to that. And so it's easy for us to stay very generic. You know, I believe God, I thank God. But this Thanksgiving was not very generic. It was directed at Jesus Christ. And that's shown because in this, Luke is really proclaiming that Jesus Christ is God. When he falls down at Jesus' feet... It is a acknowledgement that Jesus is something much more than human, that he is divine. When Peter, in the book of Acts that Luke also wrote, a man comes and he casts himself, he throws himself at at uh, Peter's feet, and Peter's response is Get up, I'm a mere man. Jesus doesn't give such a proclamation, does he? Because Jesus is no mere man. He is God. And then Luke says he thanks God. And he uses the word Eucharist at all. That word occurs 37 other times in the New Testament. Every single time it is thanksgiving to God. Luke is proclaiming, Jesus is God. You know, one of my seminary professors shared the story of when he was on the airplane, sitting next to a person. He got in the conversation. It was a Jehovah's Witness who who don't believe Jesus is God. And so they began discussing different passages, and neither person would give any concession to the other. Is Jesus God? And so the professor finally said, he said, well, I guess we've done a lot of talking here, and uh, we'll probably never resolve this issue. And the guy said, yeah, we probably won't. He said, but you know, it is an important issue because said, if Jesus isn't God and I'm worshiping it as God, then I'm worshiping the wrong God. The guy said, that's right. He said, but on the other hand, if I'm worshiping Jesus as God, if and he is, but you're not worshiping Jesus as God, then you're worshiping the wrong God. He wasn't so enthusiastic at that point, but he said, yeah, I guess that's right. Then the professor said, well, I guess, you know, on earth, it's really hard to discern whom we should be worshiping. And the guy said, yeah. And then he said, the professor said, but it's not so difficult in heaven to understand whom you should be worshiping. And he turned to the book of Revelation, and he read this. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Do you get that? To the lamb, Jesus Christ and to him who sits on the throne, the father, be the same glory praise, and honor. We may be confused here on earth, but in the heavens they are worshiping Jesus Christ. He is the object of our worship. Thanksgiving is central to our spiritual lives. It points us to Jesus Christ. It is a response to what Christ has done and what Christ is doing the focus of our thanksgiving. And if we get this focus, it will give us an entirely new picture of life itself. And the focus of thanksgiving is the gospel. Probably not surprised to hear that in this church. But you might say, where where do you see that in the passage? I, I don't see that word in the passage. It's there are three things leper, Jerusalem, and saved. You see, leprosy, leprosy really offered an imagery of sin itself, it became a picture of sin. Because in leprosy, outsides begin to change, blotches on our skin when the people have Hansen's disease, which uh, as R.K. Harrison, New Testament scholar, believes these men did. Tumors on their skin, they become ugly, but it's also affecting the insides. The result is they become insensitive to all that hurts, and that's why they often lose limbs. They can put their hand in the fire because they don't feel it. They were cast off from society and from God himself and they were without any hope. There was no cure for leprosy. So they lived socially abandoned, ceremonially unclean, unable to go to the temple, unable to be held by their loved ones. It's a picture of what sin does to us. It twists and perverts who we are in our actions and on the outside, but it really is damaging the heart, our motives, our goals, our values, our inside. It makes us insensitive and it leaves us without hope. So this story is more than a story about ten lepers being healed. It's about our people of sin and all of the damaging effects, the outcast feelings that we get as sinners. Jesus heals. But he's going to heal at a great cost. And that cost would be his life. And we see that in the word Jerusalem. Verse 11. You know, it's easy to pass this over. It just simply says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled through these towns, but you have to take that word out Jerusalem and see what Luke is meaning by it. And in Luke nine fifty one, it says that Jesus set himself to go to Jerusalem, where he would be lifted, uh, where he would be uh, basically where he would ascend. And that verse governs every time you see the word Jerusalem, Luke is wanting us to think of Jesus' final journey to Jerusalem and all that's going to happen in Jerusalem. Yes, he's going to ascend, but before that, he is going to be crucified and then raised from the dead. And what is that? Christ crucified, raised, and ascended. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's not a coincidence that Luke leaves this perhaps greatest picture of thanksgiving and puts it against the backdrop of Jerusalem and the gospel. Because really the gospel is what should be the center of our thanksgiving. Yes, we are a people who should give thanks for all that God has given us, for the blessing of life and health and provision and homes, family and friends, vocations. But if that becomes our focus, if the blessings are our only focus in thanksgiving, we're going to be destitute in many other areas and broken in many other areas. Because there are a lot of things that go on in each of our lives that we don't feel thankful for. There's a lot of brokenness, hurt, loss, suffering and yet paul says in 1st thessalonians 5 give thanks in everything we can only do that if the focus of our thanksgiving is not the gift but it's the gift giver the proclamation of the gospel cries out the gift giver is good the sovereign lord of heaven and earth is good no matter what happens, no matter what he seems to keep from you, he is good and you can trust him. And when you give thanks, you are declaring that. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32 say this. What shall we say in response of these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This verse is so critical. What it is saying is when we understand, when we truly grasp the work of God and Jesus Christ on the cross, we realize God gave us the greatest possible gift at the greatest cost. Is he going to be petty if he's giving you that so petty that he's going to withhold things you really want, that he will allow things into your life that would really break you somehow from the most important and valuable things within eternity itself? No. No. When we give thanks for the cross, it centers us on the goodness of God and leaves us to trust Him at the throne of His grace. Anne Vascamp in her book One Thousand Gifts put it this way. If God didn't withhold from us his very own Son, will He withhold anything we need? If trust must be earned hasn't God unequivocally earned our trust with the bark on the raw wounds, the thorns pressed into the brows, your name on his cracked lips? How will he not also graciously give us all things he deems best and right? He's already given the incomprehensible. The counting of blessings is ultimately summed up in one. All gratitude is ultimately gratitude for Christ. For in him all things were created, are sustained, have their being. Thus Christ is all there is to give thanks for. Christ is all there is to remember. To know how we count on God, we count graces, but ultimately there is really only one. When bridges seem to give way, we fall into Christ's safe arms. True bridge and not into hopelessness, it is safe to trust. It is the cross of Christ that cries that out to us all. When we are thankful for it, we affirm the trust that we have in Him and it changes our hearts and lives. Our Father, Your word touched me this week, and I, I pray that it touches many hearts. May we not leave it, may I not leave it in this pulpit, may we not leave it in this church. But may your spirit take these truths. Be, allow us to see the wonders, the heights and depths, and widths and breadths of the love of God in Christ Jesus, that we might have the fullness of God in us.